Hello and welcome back to the Scottish Games Network podcast. Well, sort of podcast. It's a wee bonus episode, just because we love you that much. Uh, as always, I'm your host Ryan, and I'm joined by Brian. Morning, folks. But we have a very special guest today that overshadows all of us, and that is Ali Lowe. Can you go and introduce yourself, please? Hello, I'm Ali Lowe. I run low-tech games. Uh, I'm really dyslexic, and I make games for dyslexic people. That's fantastic. And Ali's joining us um, not only because he's one of the hottest young indie studios in Dundee and the creator of games including Flea and Tapeworm Disco Puzzle uh, and runs several successful Kickstarter campaigns, but also because he's a speaker at Playway. And uh, we've been talking to a lot of the people who are taking part in the festival, really to find out a bit more about who they are, what they do, and what it is they're actually going to be talking about. So, Ali, low-tech games, that, that's a reasonably new venture for you. Um, why don't you take us back to the beginning? How did you get into games? Uh, I played games a lot when I was a kid. Had an Amiga and a NES growing up. Good choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then a shed full of stuff. They got stolen one day, which was a bit annoying, but I had to build up that collection again. Then I got a, a game-making tool out of the, the bargain bin in Toys R Us called the Games Factory back, I don't know, when I was 10. And started making games then. So yeah, 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 yeah. I vaguely remember it. That was really good. It was so good. Uh, but also probably the reason that I can't code very well, because so, <laughs> it was all visual script and stuff. Hey, uh, listen, there is no shame in not being a coder. I know enough to get by, but not enough to be good. <laughs> uh, for uni, we had a web design uh, module last semester, and we had to learn HTML and CSS, and it just it, it blew my mind, <laughs> so I don't blame you. That's the easy stuff. It's when you get in JavaScript here. <laughs> oh, gee, I mean, just wait to put me down there. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better despite having graduated in software development way back in the 80s. Um, I haven't touched programming since, and I made the stupid mistake of signing up for a, a data visualization course at the end of last year. And so I'm currently learning the R programming language. Uh-huh. And it turns out I still suck at programming. <laughs> yeah. So you have my sympathy and you have our support and understanding. We're here for you. Sorry, you were making you were making uh, games. You picked up the, the, the tool. Um, how did you break into the industry? Went to Abertea University, then just before my graduate show, uh, started applying for jobs and then just got in straight to Ninja Kiwi at that point. Uh, oh, nice. And so, so what was your role at, at uh, the, the Ninja Kiwi? I was, a, I was hired as a 3D artist, but then did uh, 2D for like a year and a half. <laughs> Uh, but then I, I did evolve into more 3D stuff later, which was quite good. Cool. It's like, and having seen your having seen your 2D work with uh, the games Flea and uh, Tape One Disco Par- uh, Tape One Disco Puzzle. I keep wanting to say Tape One Disco Party. Um, mm, maybe, yeah. Puzzle. That may be yeah. a new game. That, uh, that's the that's Mario Party S game. Yeah, <laughs> that's the end game. Yeah, I've <laughs> talked of that. Yeah. And uh, so, so Ninja Kiwi uh, really kind of gave you your start. And were you still making your own games at the same time? Yeah, I was still doing like loads of game jams and loads of other stuff, but I'd always like I've had the the low tech name since I was in like high school, mm-hmm. and I, I just didn't know how to really launch it or what what games to actually make or whatever. I tried releasing some stuff on the Play Store when I was at uni, but mm-hmm. nothing really got any traction. So, well, this is a you know it, it's and I think it's a shock for pretty much every developer and designer out there. You know, they'll, they'll pour their heart and soul, their passion into into something and put it out and find out that 
not even their mum's going to download it. Mm-hmm. It can be dispiriting, but a valuable lesson nonetheless. So, so what finally, what finally pushed you? What finally gave you the inspiration to to take the plunge and, you know, start your own studio? Uh, well, I'd wanted to for a while, as I said. Uh, I was getting a bit bored at Kiwi. It was the same, same old. And then I made the like a prototype for the the flea game and. I always wanted to kickstart it as well, and then I waited maybe a year mm-hmm. and finally pushed it together to, to get the Kickstarter demo together, the video together, uh, put it out, and then they didn't really know how to market anything or any of that, but it still managed to make its target in like three days, which is pretty good. That, that, uh, that was dead impressive, and we and we had a chat, you know. Yeah, no, we had a good chat, it was good. <laughs> um, and and I think that that's one of the things, is, is it was so defiantly retro and cute and completely unlike anything else that, that I had seen, you know, at the, at the time. And so were you doing, were you doing a lot of work? Had, had you managed to pick up a lot of contacts through the game jams or were you on some of the old retro gaming communities and boards or how mm, you... They're kind of like two communities. Yeah. The game jam ones are just the, the local Scotland, whatever. Uh, I went over to New Zealand as well with uh, Ninja Kiwi and met some of the, the developers over there. And that, that may have been another thing, because there was a, a guy doing homebrew development uh, mm. for the Amiga CD32, and we got chat oh. and stuff. We, we still talk, and it's pretty cool. Mm. He's making a an engine called Scorpio Engine that publishes to like so many old retro platforms. It's it's really cool. Uh, but but yeah, then through the, the tool that I used to make the NES game, NES Maker, the, mm. the community there is like really, really enthusiastic, and everybody helps each other and stuff. So I think that, that kind of built up my name enough like to get the Kickstarter over the line. Yeah, and, and you know, our hats are off to you because it's not an easy thing. And, you know, for every Kickstarter out there that succeeds, there are 10 that never make the cut. Yeah, I think yeah. if it wasn't a retro game, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have got funded. Well, that's the thing. You know, you had, you had a, a very definite focus. And is that something that, that Low Tech is going to be sticking with? You know, the, the real sort of old school I think so. It's something that's quite important to me. I've got loads of like retro consoles behind me and stuff. Uh, and yeah, I'm noticing it. I'm very jealous. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, we look at, we look like we're in such stale, awful environments, and yours is just chock full <laughs> fun things and consoles and a switch and a Dreamcast and God, <laughs> yeah, got it. Well, I hope a you're fake Nintendo PlayStation. Yeah. Oh, and <laughs> even better. My God, it's so cool. And so you kind of find your niche, and, and you, you you think you're going to be staying staying in around there. Is it always going to be Ness, or do you think you might branch out into some of the other? It's might, much loved. Might branch out. Uh, so we, we have already went to the Dreamcast because it was easy to mm-hmm. port the game. Uh, mm-hmm. There, oh, I don't know where it's gone. Was working on a oh, there we go, Game Boy port of Flea as well. Sweet. Uh, the Tapeworm got it's not retro, but uh, got the play date stretch goal reached so when the when the sdk actually lands on that we'll get started on porting that over fantastic so what, for anyone who's not familiar with it what, what's the play date play date's a a new handheld console by panic that mm-hmm. has a crank on the side as an input device uh, and tapeworm actually came about while thinking of games that would work with a crank because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of yeah the worm could go down a path and then you wind them back into the tape uh, to bring them back down and then you can put them down another path. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's the most 
delightfully bonkers thing that I've seen <laughs> in such a long time. A bright yellow handheld console whose input device is a crank handle. I can't believe I've not heard of this. What? You're not heard of the planet? Oh. No! Okay. My mind's been blown. Are you not reading? <laughs> I, it, was, it was featured in the, in the, the Tape One Disco Puzzle news piece, Ryan. I'm disappointed. I thought I covered <laughs> Tape One Disco Puzzle. That was a that, fun fact. That was my first article I wrote about Tape One hey. Disco Puzzle. That's yeah. the eagle. You see that? <laughs> did so, I write so, about it and not, and not. And I've just blanked it? <laughs> Have I just. Did something traumatic happen while I was writing that article? It's like a suppressed memory. I just can't remember anything about writing it at all, other than the games I mentioned. Yes, every every session that we have recording stuff is is you know opening up entirely new. It's like terms of memory. If a if a alien abduction comes up at some point, Ryan, I am not taking responsibility. The the, the other the other area that you've been looking at, um, Ali, is um, games for dyslexia. So are you are you dys dyslexic yourself? Yeah, very dyslexic myself. I find it really hard to read, mm -hmm. and my spelling is atrocious. So, so yeah, you might notice in some of my marketing stuff, big spelling mistakes. And I realise like two minutes after I've posted them, but then it's too late, isn't it? Some people have liked it. You don't want to lose those likes. <laughs> yeah, don't don't listen. You are actually putting out marketing stuff, so yeah. you're head and shoulders <laughs> above so many other of your peers and colleagues. Uh, who stick a game out and, and think that telling anybody is somehow, um, you know, just selling out, man. <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it's you're doing well. You're doing well. So so tell us about the, the first project that you did um, with dyslexia in the mind. Uh, that was the familiar fairy tale dyslexic text-based adventure. Uh, it was made to highlight the issues that dyslexics face while playing games with loads of words in them. Because yeah, like but, a dyslexic is never going to play a text-based adventure game, are they? Uh, well, that that <laughs> thing as as a huge, you know, I, I was a writer first when I joined the games industry, um, and I am sold that, that interactive fiction was kind of one of my main, main entry points into games. So an interactive fiction for dyslexics was kind of mind blowing. And it was and, oh, it was a labour of love. I, I used to uh, do it while I was on the way down to see my girlfriend on the train. Uh -huh. <laughs> And it was like I'm I'm dyslexic and doing this big wordy thing, that because <laughs> there, there's no pictures on it. There's a picture at the, the start. Uh, I was going to add pictures, but I kind of defeated the purpose. I'm going to do it as an accessibility feature at the end. But, uh, but yeah, it, it shows the a lot of the things that frustrate me. Like mm -hmm. there's so much text. Uh, it's yeah. really hard to read. It moves about some like for me and my eyes or whatever. Uh, and then the other thing that it highlights is the. Uh, the time aspect of some of the games, like mm -hmm. in the Telltale series of games, the like it's it's nice and story based and whatever, but then you get five seconds to make a decision on four different things. Yeah, you have to read. yeah, yeah. It's really find, really hard. <laughs> yeah, I tend to find when I'm playing those games, like I end up like I like the Telltale games specifically, like yeah, because you've got that timer. Yeah, I think you end up like getting almost worse at reading because the yeah. timer's there and it's like, no, you've got to pick, pick, pick. You know, I, 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 I can't read anything. Um, yeah, you just read one and then you're like, eh, that doesn't sound good. I'll just pick one of the other ones random. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> how it goes, isn't it? So it showed that. And some people, like, in, in the Steam reviews for that game, uh, for uh, Familiar Fairy Tale, there's someone says, if you remove the timer, I will play this game. Uh, this will make it bad. And I was like, that's the point. It's <laughs> it's, it's to highlight the issue that it's, it's not good. And we would play your games if if they were more accessible for us. It was kind of pioneering because it's one of these issues that, that 
has been ignored for so long. You know, mm. not just dyslexia, but but accessibility in general. Yeah, um, and it's getting b- bigger now. Like, say, games like The Last of Us Two mm-hmm. uh, were, I think, absolutely groundbreaking on the amount of accessibility options they had. And yeah. I was so happy that the the first option that comes up is, "Do you want text to speech turned on?" So the first, the only, you need to re- read one piece of text, and then all the rest of the text will be read for you. Yes, I think it was a, a really bold move for them to add that as the first thing you see in a game. Well, I think that's the thing, and it's it's really kind of set the standard. It shows this is possible, and yet, okay, it's a AAA game, so yeah. you know, they had the budget and they had the team. But in terms of just making the game, you know, accessible for for the broadest possible audience, <laughs> it's as you say, mind blowing. Um, so I'm really interested in finding out how did you how did you get involved with the Playway Festival. Because the focus of your talk is is looking at the the accessibility and the dyslexia issue, isn't it? Yeah, that was through the latest project, the Dyslectech. Uh, it was because I'm working with in-game to get the mm-hmm. prototype and stuff, the first version of that up and going. Uh, and they were talking to Playaway, and they says, "Oh, it'd be good if like anybody that's doing accessibility or empathy in games would do mm-hmm. a talk." Uh, so they parted them my way. Oh, yeah, so I heard so, about so, it a little bit before everybody else did. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about Dislike Tech and, and what you're doing with in-game? Yep. Uh, so yeah, I had the idea after uh, releasing A Familiar Fairy Tale that I'd highlighted the solution and I need to create... No, I highlighted the problem. I need to make a solution for that. Otherwise, I don't know, I'm just a hypocrite or something. So, <laughs> uh, so any games that I make are going to have Dislike Tech in it if, if they can, if they're not on the retro stuff. Uh, okay. But it's, it's a tool for developers that lets them easily add text-to-speech options to their game at any point of development. You basically just drop the the object into your scene and then it adds uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the ability to just be able to click anywhere and it, it reads it. That, okay, I can see that making a making a big big difference, and mm-hmm. it does some other stuff like the, see the the points where of of, of the timer. It also uh, pauses the game. It uh, puts the the screen time to zero and turns the music off and stuff and pauses everything, uh, so that you can take the time to read all those options. That, uh, that's really cool because um, we were speaking about um, we were speaking about Undertale at the end of last week, and a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff in that like bosses will give you hints on how to beat them while you're mm-hmm. while you're playing but the problem is if i'm looking at like my options at the bottom of the screen and then i look up i can't read that uh yeah speech bubble quick enough quick enough to go ah that's what i've got to do okay well i'll keep uh, i'll do that and so it's really cool yep. that i'll if that undertale was is undertale. one of those games that i really i'm like i really want to play that game i've heard it's really witty really funny but it's so it's so text heavy that you can't do it uh, yeah. See the the one that I that, that always comes to mind is uh, on, in Final Fantasy VII. There was a similar thing, where the the first boss you come to is like a scorpion robot thing. Uh, I I never got past that, and then I talked to someone else years later, and they says they never got past it, uh, and they realised someone else told them that it was because they were dyslexic and they didn't read the thing. There was a bit at the top of the screen saying, "Yeah, only attack him when his tail is up." I was like. The amount of dyslexics that never got past that. I mean, they wouldn't do well in the game because it's quite text-heavy anyway. But do you know it's don't... funny? Um, I'm <laughs> don't actually get that playing. Um, like I'm playing the PS1 version on my PS4 right now, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm only like what a wee bit past that at the moment. I'm only like <laughs> a few hours in, 
How many I, times did you die at that bit? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like, I remember thinking, why is there such a massive difficulty spike? This is still the tutorial. Yeah. Um, wow. You've just told me something <laughs> about the game I'm playing now. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> oh, well. Um, so, uh, back to your uh, your talk. Um, you were mentioning how, like, you don't, like, you find it difficult to code. Uh, code. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people who are dyslexic who do want to get into gaming? Because I was in that situation where, like, I love gaming, obviously, that's why I work for SGN. And when I was sort of trying to work out what my career path would be, I wanted to work in the industry, but I knew, oh, well, I can't code and I can't draw, like, to save my life. So I was like, well, I can't be an artist and Mm. I can't work on games. So I was like, well, I'll, like, speak about them and write about them and stuff. And, like, writing articles, like, I've got a bit more time and there's more sort of margin for error and the spell uh, spell checks and stuff whereas in coding yeah. there's not really that so um what would your advice be to select some people wanting to get into games yeah it's like you say try to find something that doesn't really impact you that much from if you can get by spelling with a spell check or whatever uh, see I, I find it really hard in the code because the amount of times where i've just uh, like not spelled the, the variable names the same and then i'm there for hours being like why is it not working? It should work. Uh, looking over it and over it and over it, and then someone else comes along and goes, oh, you've, those don't match. Uh, luckily, in, in some of the uh, newer code editors and stuff, you can like highlight that bit, and it, it highlights all the others that are, have the same name. So it's a bit easier to tell when it's not right now. Uh, but, but yeah, also the visual script and the stuff is really quite good. Uh, and it's, it's much easier now to learn because, yeah, when I was growing up, it was like YouTube and stuff wasn't a thing. It was all kind of text tutorials, if anything. Uh, but yeah, we, we YouTube and screen readers. Uh, it's it's much easier to learn that kind of stuff if you want to, uh, or or if you just want to be in games and don't really care. So you can. There's so many other things you can do. do QA, you can do production management, whatever you want, really. <laughs> Yeah, um, yes, I suppose, yeah, like, you don't realise how many options there are, like, within the games industry when you're sort of on the outside looking in, but there are a plethora of different career paths you can go with, like, so, yeah, even if you are dyslexic or you do find it difficult to, you know, like, if you can't draw like me, then you don't need to be like, oh, well, that's my two options gone, you know, there are Mm -hmm. plenty of other options. So, yeah, thank you very much, Ali, for uh, joining us. Um, Is there anything you want to promote and plug while you're here? The Play Away Festival, the talk. Uh, I'm going to be doing a Let's Play live stream play party thing at it as well. I think I'll be one of the hosts of that. Uh, the talk, yeah, that I'm doing. Uh, Dyslectic's coming soon, but not out yet. And yeah, I think that's about it. And links to everywhere that you can find Ali will be in the show notes. So do please follow them and check them out and follow them on Twitter and, you know, like follow Low Tech Games and everything because uh, they're doing some really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, and like I said, uh, Tapeworm Disco Puzzle was the first game I covered and I uh, I sent you an email because I was like, right, I've got to just contact everyone and just tell them I'm writing about them so they might give me something. And I sent you an email and I think it was kind of redundant. I was just like, hey, can you tell me about your game? And you were like, the press release. I was like, I, d- I don't know what you want, but yeah, here's, here's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, so... Up. Yeah, Ali's a brilliant guy, like really nice guy, so definitely go and check him out. Um, Yeah, and you've been watching the Scottish Games Network podcast, and we'll see you next time.